0: Rationally, do I know we probably don't need that much sitting in an emergency fund? Absolutely. But, you know, emotionally for me, it makes me feel secure and helps me sleep at night knowing that, again, we have ample over what we need to get us through like a three-month issue.
1: Welcome to the neighborhood. My name is Michael Lacey husband, father, and host of the Wealthy Neighbor Show, where every week we bring you an amazing interview or a message to inspire you as you build wealth for your family. Thanks for stopping by the neighborhood. Now let's jump right in with today's message. Welcome back to another episode of the Wealthy Neighbor Show. This is part one of episode 17, and since it's the week of Valentine's Day, I decided to have both Ashanze and Ellie Matlock from the website Debt Free and Fitness come on the show and they're going to share a little bit about their journey. Now, Zay and Ellie are a millennial couple that focus on sharing their journey of marriage, finance, and fitness. And while sharing their own personal journey towards financial independence, they hope to inspire other couples to live their best life and achieve their own goals. And so I got to meet this couple in D.C. last year and they instantly became one of my favorites. I mean, their energy is just super contagious and I am crazy excited to have them on the show today. So, Zay and Ellie they're going to be sharing how having shared money goals helped them overcome some financial differences that came from just growing up with different backgrounds and different perspectives on life and money and all those things and so and, and let me just say this now, you guys know I usually try to keep these interviews around about thirty five minutes or so, but this conversation was so good. We ended up spending a Saturday night talking for well over an hour and the tips and stories and things that they shared were just so good and so impactful. I just I felt like I couldn't edit anything out. So I split the interview into two parts and I'm releasing them both at the same time instead of making you wait till next week for part two. So you'll still be able to find the show notes for both of these on one page, which will be winningtowealth.com slash episode 17. So it's two episodes, but one show notes page that's winningtowealth.com slash episode 17. But take your time and just enjoy both of these episodes. Don't feel like you got to rush through them. But, and, and if you're married, make sure you send both of these episodes to your spouse. Um, because I'm telling you, th- there are just some major gems being dropped about, managing your money and managing your health while creating an awesome marriage at the same time. So uh, enough with the intro, let's get right into part one of episode 17. Zay and Ellie, welcome to the neighborhood. I'm so glad you guys accepted my invite to come on the show because I I just think y'all are just like this electric couple and I'm a big fan. So once again, thank you. But I want to kick off the episode by asking you guys, What kind of financial example did each of you have in your household when you were kids?
0: Um, Well, I'll start because mine is a little less interesting. (laughs) Um, My mom actually is a financial planner. Um, She works in insurance and financial services. So money was always something that we talked about in my household growing up. My parents were always really transparent about you know where they were able to save money and where the money they saved was going um and i think that is why like T- today, as an adult, like I do get like such a high off like finding sales and things. Cause I just remember growing up, my mom being like, look at this, only $3. And now I can put the other seven away. <laughs> and so I just feel like I get such a high off that. Cause that was something that was always very transparent in my household. Um, even when I, you know, was fortunate enough to grow up in a situation where they didn't have to be as frugal as they were, but their financial goals were just so much bigger. Than the money they were earning, that they chose to do that. So mine was always just like be conservative, save everywhere you can, but you know, still live your life. Um, so mine's a little less interesting, but that that was my relationship kind of with finances growing up.
2: And to add to that, so on the contrary, uh, <laughs> I come from a household where money was a bit of a sore subject. Um, you know, growing up for me. And, uh, my relationship with money, you know, I grew up in a household where things were pretty tight, you know, for the most part, I grew up in a a single parent household. My mother had to work two jobs to support me and my sisters. And, um, you know, money was rarely talked about, you know, And and if it was, you know, as I said, it was a bit of a sore subject. Um, In my household, I remember days when, you know, when we got money, we spent right away. It was, you know, mom took care of bills. And then from there it was to the grocery store and then it was to spend more money. And then from there it was like, okay, how are we going to make it to the next paycheck? So for me growing up, you know, on the contrary, you know, we were taught to kind of save, but we never talked about investing. You know, we never really talked about the importance of budgeting, you know, just everything that goes into personal finance, um, I had to kind of learn on my own. So, you know, it created a pretty different dynamic when Ellie and I got together because for me, I'm emotionally attached to money. My emotions towards money is a little bit different, especially coming from a scarcity mindset to where I believe Ellie comes from a more abundance mindset, you know, her background, they were, you know, taught on how to get more money, how to save money. Whereas for us, it was like, you know, when we got money, it was, you know, you want to try to stretch this as long as you can, because you weren't sure where the next dollar was coming from. So, um, it creates an interesting dynamic in our relationship, I would say. So when it when we started having money conversations, um, it was different. What can I say? You know, it was very different. So yeah, for me personally, you know, I come from that background where we lived that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle, you know, we had government assistance. And so again, like I said, we came from a very scarcity mindset. So that was my relationship with money growing up.
0: And I'm sorry, just to jump back in really quickly. It's interesting that, you know, he, he's right. It is interesting when we have discussions about money amongst ourselves, but it, the biggest thing for me was realizing that the kind of money conversations we had in my household and the things that we were taught wasn't widely known amongst other people. Um, My grandparents were like Jewish immigrants coming over. So they had literally nothing um, when they came to this country. So that like they act the same way my parents do in terms of we always find a deal. My grandparents like still to this day will be like, I found this can of tomatoes for 45 cents and I bought 12 of them. And, you know, it it is, it was interesting to me as an adult when he and I started talking about money that, that wasn't so widespread of a notion. So it definitely has been interesting as we've evolved in our relationship, discussing finances.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting that That, that's the case for you guys because you guys are almost like a mirror image of my wife and myself. Like, (laughs) I grew up in poverty and, and, and sometimes it was extreme poverty, right? And, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. my wife grew up kind of middle class with, you know, a, a decent family and all that stuff. And I was splitting time between two parents and neither one of them were making good decisions. And we never talked about money. Now the bills were more, you know, the bills were paid, but it's kind of like you were saying, like, when the bills were paid, it was like, all right, game on. Like, where are we going to go now? Like, let's, right. <laughs> let's find something to spend this money on. And so it, I remember it did create a lot of interesting dynamics, you know, early in our relationship, in our discussions. But, And and one of the things that I remember us talking about was, you know, coming into our marriage. I mean, there were people in my family that, you know, being first gen, I was actively supporting and that was something that my wife had never experienced. And so it caused some tension in our marriage. So mm. did did you guys experience something similar to that, where your upbringings upbring- kind of brought a little tension in your relationship?
2: <laughs> I, I want to speak to this first because it did. And the first instant that I can remember is when we started to talk about what our emergency fund was going to be. So... I had been reading Dave Ramsey's, you know, Total Money Makeover. I, you know, had just recently joined the debt-free community on Instagram, so shout out to those guys. And I was like all in. So when I go all in on an idea or a thought, like I jump in headfirst, you know, I really, you know, I think about kind of some of the consequences, but I'm still like I'd rather jump in and deal with them and try to work through it.
0: 100 miles an hour. Right. 100 miles (laughs) an hour. So
2: for us, when we first started talking about an emergency fund, I was just like, okay, we need to figure out what's our minimum basic living expenses, multiply that by three, and that is the exact number we need to have. And I can remember when Ellie told me, well... I want, and at this time, she, you know, and I'm going to say this number, but she was like, I want $30,000 in an emergency fund. And I was like, whoa, that is a <laughs> lot of money. Like, and, and again, coming from a background, a background I came from, to me, 30000 I was like, that is a lot of money. I almost thought it was impossible for us right, to save right. that amount of money. And when she blurted that out, I was like, um we're just starting this journey. Can we like, like build up and just get a starter emergency fund? And it took me a while to understand that for her and where she came from, like, you know, 30,000, I'm not going to say it wasn't necessarily a lot of money. It was more of the financial security. It was the thing that it was a number that made her feel comfortable. And, you know, for her, she wasn't a like, strategic kind of by the number like she wasn't going to I'm going to do this math I'm going to multiply this by 3 and this is going to be the number it was like this is a number that regardless of what my expenses are regardless of what our living um living situation is this number is comfortable for me so to your question like what was the tension that you know we really went back and forth on what is that comfortable number for our emergency fund how are we going to get there what is going to be our a strategic way of building this emergency fund, and yeah, it took us a lot to really compromise. So we did come down a little bit. I was able to talk her down uh, from that number. It was still a relatively high number, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we you know we really sat down and under you know talked through what our feelings were, why. The numbers we discussed you know, made sense to each other, and that kind of helped us get on the same page. But early on, I would say that that situation right there was something that I will never forget. So I don't know about you, babe, but- <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ellie, I, Ellie, I want to ask you, I mean, what was that conversation like? Because you know, he's coming to you saying, this is probably more money than I've ever thought of having in my life. Mm-hmm. and i don't think we need that much and so from your perspective what was that what did that conversation feel like
0: so i i tell this story a lot and this is going to help give background but it's really indicative of like my relationship with money why i'm always like no i want to do conservative things and i want that big chunk you know in our emergency fund and um when i was in college i have i have a sister who is Less than a year older than me. So, in school, we're a year apart. We we're both in college out of state. And I remember at that time, my stepdad was laid off from his job. And I remember my mom calling me and being like, Hey, I'm just letting you know, like, you know, he was laid off and, you know, we may need you and your sister to transfer to in state schools. And of course, I was a brat in college and like didn't understand money that well. And I was like, Absolutely not. Like, my parents are paying. like I have no student loans. And I was like, absolutely not. I will take student loans out before I leave. Like there's no way I'm leaving. I love it here. (laughs) Of course, like, you know, such a brat. And, um, that was the last I ever heard of it. And my mom and my mom's house had two other kids at home. And I just, when I graduated college, remember being like, wait a minute, like whatever happened with that. And the fact that they were able to keep my sister and I In out of state schools, my brothers comfortable not even realizing with their activities and stuff that this was going on. That for me was my moment of like, I never want my family to ever feel financially if something like that is going on in my family. And so when he was said, you know, what is that emergency fund number? Thirty thousand for me was like, all right, if anything happened and it took us, let's say, three months to get a new job or get back on our feet, like. Thirty thousand would allow us to cover our expenses, but still live our lives in the way we're comfortable living them, and then some in case we need a little extra time. So that moment for me is why I need. Like I'm always like, nope, it needs to be this high. No, we need all this. Nope. And he's like, okay, take a breath. So I don't know if that totally answers your question, but for me, that conversation was again, like he said rationally, do I know we probably don't need that much sitting in an emergency fund? Absolutely. But um, you know, emotionally for me, it makes me feel secure and helps me sleep at night knowing that, again, we have ample over what we need to get us through like a three month issue.
1: Right. Yeah. And I'm so glad you said that because that's something that we'll explore in more episodes on the show. But money is so emotional. Like people don't realize how much our emotions drive our financial decisions. Like we, even myself. I mean, I'm a very logical person. I'm very methodical, very thought out. But even still, there's sometimes where that old poverty mindset creeps up, and I'm just like, no, not doing it. You know what I mean? Right. And so, right. <laughs> but I, you know, I want to go back a little bit to to the beginning of you guys' story and. I mean, let's talk about, let's go into how you guys even met. How did you even come to be a couple? Let's start here.
0: <laughs> Do you want me to tell, or would you prefer? My story, he thinks, makes him sound different than <laughs> it, it, he thinks it happened.
2: Go ahead, you just tell your side, and then I'll chime in to All make right. sure I add some corrections.
0: He's going to say my, t- <laughs> this was my perspective of the situation, people. Okay. Ah. So um, I have a girlfriend who I've been friends with for. Forever, and um all throughout college, I cheered, so when I didn't have trainers waking me up at six a m to work out and practices and things, I was like, "Okay, I need to like join a gym and figure out like what to do on my own. So my girlfriend helped me join this gym, I'd been going with her, and it was the first time that I had gone to the gym by myself, like without my friend like being able to be like my little sidekick. So I'm at the gym and I notice this guy kind of circling me, like not coming up, but I can tell that he's like kind of interested. So I go over to the free weights and I like pull down this weight and I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And there's all these benches open and he comes and he gets on the bench directly next to me. And I'm like, okay, well, this man wants to talk to me. So <laughs> the weight that I had taken down was fairly heavy. So I was like, well, I'll let him put the weight back. That's fine. So I'm like, hey, can you put this weight back for me? Sorry, it's heavy. And he was like, oh, no problem. And I'm rude. And I literally put my headphone back in. And then I realized he's talking to me. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we started chatting, whatever. And then he was like, yeah, you know, so, <laughs> this line. He was like, yeah, you know, I'm looking for, um, you know, an, a new workout partner. Like, would you want to work out together sometime? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And then I walked away. And then I'm over at like the mats doing abs. He comes over onto the same mat. We're talking a little. And I'm like, all right, well, like great meeting. You see you later. And he's like, well, can I get your number? Would you like want to work out? So I was like, okay. So we exchanged numbers. And honestly, like that was the best situation we could have ever been in. Number one, we clearly both cared about health and fitness. We were at the gym. But we actually, before we even went on our very first date – we worked out together five days a week for like two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like we kind of had all these little mini dates before we went on like a date. Um, but it allowed us the ability to really like become friends and create a relationship without like, oh my God, do I look pretty? Do I smell good? Is he going to kiss me? <laughs> like, you know, we're sweating and gross and we're just like talking. And so but the time we went on our first date, we were like, mm, I guess we're dating. Like, I guess this is a thing.
2: Right. <laughs> Um, okay. She didn't tell a bad story. So that was, that's, that's about accurate. Usually usually when she tells it, she makes me sound like I'm a gym creep. Like I was stalking her. Uh, it was nothing of that case. Uh, but no, she told a pretty fairly accurate story. So yeah, I, and, and just to add my perspective. So where I came from was I had recently just gotten out of a relationship uh, with pretty much who I would say was my high school sweetheart at the time, so we had dated like on and off for about six or seven years or so, and um, I really started growing to my own and really figure out what I wanted in a relationship. And I knew that um, I had uh, maybe a year and a half before I met Ellie. That's when I really started my fitness journey, and so I said, you know, I really want someone that's going to be dedicated to uh, their health and fitness because this was a new found lifestyle that I really wanted to maintain. And so leading up to that point, I kept telling myself, I'm going to find my future somebody at the gym. I'm going to find my future somebody at the gym. And prior to that point, you know, let me put this out there. I had never (laughs) talked to or tried to holler at a girl at the gym because I thought it was pretty creepy. Okay. So When I decided to finally shoot my shot, I made sure I was very strategic. So when she (laughs) says I was circling around her and I picked the bench next to her. Yes, people, I was very strategic.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about where you guys were individually at that time. I mean, you know, where, how were you guys doing financially, you know, as, as individuals? Go first? Ooh,
2: um, I'll go first. I'll start okay. this one off. So for me at that point in time, uh, I was about 26 or so. Um, Career wise, I was doing pretty well. Uh, I, at this time I was working at Geico, so at least I was contributing to a 401k. And if we get to that later, I made a terrible decision where when I left, uh, Geico, I actually cashed out my 401k, highly not advisable when you guys do that. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I was doing fairly well for myself. As I said, I was about 26. I was making, uh, about 50 K or so. Actually, I did have a second job at that time. So I had a second job where I was working at, um, home Depot. Um, you know, we live in the DC metro area where it's pretty, um, excuse me, it's pretty ex- expensive. And so, you know, being a single male living by myself you know, I was living in like a studio apartment where at that time my rent with everything included was like 875. but I had student loans. I had a car loan. Um, and I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of living that bachelor lifestyle. So I was spending a lot of money like going out and eating out and uh stuff like that. So um while I was contributing to my 401k, that was probably the extent of savings and investing that I was doing. Um, I would say I was still kind of living that paycheck to paycheck lifestyle just because of my spending habits and my going out, my going out habits. So for me. I hadn't hit that financial maturity yet. Um, so you know, when we met, that's kind of where I was as far as financially goes. But Ellie was on a totally different page. Wait till you guys hear this.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't feel like my story is that great. Um, I feel like when we still met, I was really still searching for myself career wise. I had left, I had started working right out of college for an NFL team. I'd majored in sports management. Um, I did that for a year and a half, two years, and I was just so unhappy. And so I left there and I was, you know, kind of pursuing, you know, starting my own business at that point. And I was working somewhere that was going to help me do that. But I just, I wasn't, I was still living at home. Like I wasn't even making enough money where I could financially support myself. So in the time that we kind of met and started dating, I like landed a whale when it comes to jobs, <laughs> like, and I'm still there. So it it I went from like making like twenty five thousand dollars to making six figures. Um, so I like like I said, landed a whale of a job. I'm still there. I love it. Um, and, but I was again. I don't know that I would say I was like any further than he was. I think I had the tools financially. I didn't have the money to do anything with those tools yet. Um, yeah, and that's the story. I don't I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, let's talk about that because, you know, you guys come from completely different backgrounds. You're in completely different places in your lives at this point. You come together. I mean, did you guys have any talks about money like, in those early stages of dating?
0: I feel like oh. we did kind of. Well, let me start with this. Um, so on our very first date, and this was when I was still not making any money, uh, our first like official date, I made it a point, we, we did like dinner and drinks as like the first date. And I made it a point when we were... Um, paying for the bill that I was going to make him split it with me. And I'm, I know every time I say that, like from females, I get a lot of backlash on he needs to court you, this, that, and the other. But I was really not, I wasn't looking for somebody to do that for me. I was looking for a partner. Um, and I think that whole notion of like the man has to pay all the time is very old school. We're in a different time where women actually earn an income. So I was looking more so for a partner than somebody to financially support me, even though I couldn't financially support myself. Um, but I feel like that it opened the door for us to have open and honest financial discussions because I wasn't I made it clear that we were Equals financially, it was something that we could talk about openly because I wasn't looking for him to fit a certain financial mold at that time. I really feel like when you commit to somebody, it's y'all's money. There's no mine mine and your money. So I wanted to set the tone for our relationship that way. And I think that helped us when we did have those discussions, which we really didn't start having until, to be honest, until we lived together probably a year and a half into dating.
2: Yeah. So that's what I was going to add in is that I think early on, um, you know, we didn't really have too serious of money discussions until we moved in together and got an apartment together. Um, Even then did, you know, even then when we did move in together, the conversations were not as deep, um, you know, as they were once we like got engaged. So once we moved in, you know, we just made sure, hey, these are the bills. This is how we're going to split them. Can you cover your half? Can I cover my half? We're good, right? And now I will say for me personally, um, that kind of led me down uh, a path that I made some mistakes. So even though I could cover my half, uh, and for full transparency, you know, things were going well. But uh I would say towards the end of the first half we started to live in together, um, they built a MGM casino like 10 minutes from our apartment. And I kinda I I I'm not even gonna say I kinda, I did. I hid a little bit of a gambling habit from Ellie, and that forced me to rack up a little bit of debt. Now again we talked about finances but we never really openly said okay here's what my debt is these are what my investments are we just knew okay this is roughly about what each other make and we're we're able to pay our bills but once we got engaged that's when things got more serious and I really opened up about what my situation was as far as what my student loan debt was you know kind of what my consumer like you know car loans you know, when I was younger, I tried to start a few businesses. So I racked up a little bit of debt that way. And then the, you know, a a chunk was like, hey, I kind of been going behind your back and I've had this gambling habit a little bit and I've racked up some credit card debt. And that was probably the scariest thing for me because, you know, I have this awesome relationship. I have this awesome partner. But I was being, what do you call it, I guess, financially secretive or hiding financial secrets and not being uh, or not having a full disclosure with her. So coming clean with that was probably
1: like one of the scariest things I ever did in my life. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's interesting that, again, man, it's so weird. It's like talking to myself <laughs> and my wife, like. So, I mean, because that was our experience. I mean, we dated for years and and we dated, for, I think, like three or four years and we never had an in-depth conversation about money. But if you asked me what she made, I could tell you. If you asked her what I made, she could tell you. Um, You know, we paid all our bills on time. There was never an issue like all of that. And then, you know, we get it wasn't until we got to our honeymoon where I had that wake up call of like, oh, dang. OK, like. Something not right. (laughs) Like because I'm knowing like we're making good money, but at the same time I'm having to like, you know, do these little things. Like, okay, we can't spend too much money because we got these bills waiting at home, and that for us it kind of blew up for us. And I remember just feeling so embarrassed and so hurt and ashamed and all those feelings because. You know, you, you get conditioned as a man to that you're the provider. And so I felt like I had let my wife down on our honeymoon. Absolutely. And so was was that kind of the same experience for you?
2: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I felt like I was such a failure. I felt like I, I wasn't a true man. Um, just like you said, just all the societal things that are put on, especially us as, you know, African-American men. You know, we are really right. taught to be to be the provider. You need to bring home the bread. You know, you really need. You know, you've got to have your things on on lockdown. And so, to have to come clean and tell Ellie that, hey, look, I'm kind of falling short, and to and to ask for help. That was like one of the like most humblest things I've ever had to do. Um, uh, because I, again, I felt like I was coming up short. You know, I felt like I wasn't able to, uh, you know, provide for the household. Again, like we said, the bills were paid, but, you know, if there were things we wanted to do, it was like, ah, we need to, you know, kind of watch it because my spending money isn't necessarily what your spending money is because I got student loans I'm paying for. I got a car loan I'm paying, you know, I, I got these credit cards that, she don't know about that I'm paying for. Yeah. And, you know, my my uh free cash flow wasn't what hers was. So, you know, for her to have to keep coming out of pocket, I was just like, man, I think I need to just be up front and let her know, like, look, I need a little bit of help here. It's not that I I can't provide. It's just that this is my situation. And so like you said, man, it was one of the most, you know, I was a little embarrassed. Um, uh, but once we had the conversation, and, you know, I saw that she was down to help and that she was very understanding. Um, And not only that, you know, having her parents to kind of lean on and learn from, that was big for me. So yeah, brother, I totally, totally feel where you're coming from and went through the same exact thing. <laughs> so
1: Ellie, let me get your perspective on that time. I mean, what was it like? I mean, he comes to you and he's like, look, I got all this debt. I'm struggling. I need help. And oh yeah, I've been gambling behind your back. I racked up credit card debt too. Like, (laughs) What was that like for you to deal with?
0: Well, okay. So with the gambling thing, I had somewhat of an idea. First of all, I knew he was gambling because at 3 a.m., I was the one rolling up to the casino, dragging his ass out. Um, All the bouncers there kind of knew they saw me roll up looking like I just rolled out of bed Looking angry, they knew what I was there for, right? (laughs) So I knew that it was a problem. I thought he was just blowing his money. I didn't know that he was racking, like, I didn't know we owed people money based off this. So when he came to me with, Hey, like, I need your help, I'm falling short, you know, however he wants to phrase it. You know, I know for myself that the financial situation I was set up in, where I didn't have student loan debt and I had a manageable car loan, um, and I really, I didn't have any debt when I was, you know, set up um, out of college. I knew that that was rare, and I knew that, you know, the the person that I ended up with probably wasn't going to be in a similar financial situation. Um, there's plenty of middle class people who don't plan well financially. So even if I married someone who had, you know, a similar background to me, who's to say their parents did the right things to be able to avoid them having student loans. So I knew that the student loan thing was, you know, a reality. But when he really came clean, um, I mean, you know... At the end of the day, nobody's perfect, right? Like, I was able to acknowledge that he, as a partner and a person, was what I was looking for. He had some financial things he had to learn where maybe I was a little more mature than him in that space. But if somebody's willing to learn and do the work and better themselves to be a better partner, you can't fault them for that. So I didn't judge him for it. I didn't want to make him feel ashamed for it. I wanted him to understand that like that type of behavior couldn't continue because I couldn't build a life with somebody and feel like, oh my God, they're going to blow our savings on gambling. So I did have to make that really clear to him that like, if he wanted to continue with this, that behavior had to stop. But if again, if somebody's willing to put in the work and change themselves for the better, for the betterment of the relationship, who am I to say well you have debt and I'm going to walk away like you always can earn more money that's a little bit my attitude with money um because the people around me have always been very generous with it so I was like all right here's where we are we'll make a plan to pay it down and this is the lesson learned that we will never find ourselves in this situation again
1: so let me let me ask this question because you know of all the listeners I have I'm sure somebody's dealing with Some sort of gambling addiction, whether it's like the online sports or whether it's actual casinos or anything like that. So, what were some of the practical things you did to help you kick that habit? Oh, can I actually
0: comment on that really quick? Sure. Is that okay? I know that (laughs) I don't have the habit, but um, Ashanze kind of mentioned earlier, like, you know, when I have an idea, I just go for it, right? And something that he has been able to identify about himself is he has an addictive personality, whether that's to gambling, to a business idea, to working out, whatever it is, he has an addictive personality. So what I would say that we try to do now because we know that about him is we channel his addictive personality Towards things that are good, so he, you know, wants to be a part of the debt-free community, starting the first-gen, you know, wealth-building YouTube channel, working out, being healthy. You know, he, we are, we're channeling that addiction and and that kind of addictive piece of him, and we're funneling that towards things that are positive. So, I don't know. Y'all if
2: see why I marry her? <laughs> <laughs>
0: but I mean, is, it's. it's it's not like something that's just like, okay, it's turned off and it's only ever towards positive stuff. Like there's times where we're like, okay, we got to, we got to recalibrate what we're doing here. But again, that's part of being somebody's partner is like, like there's things that like he needs to pick me up on the addictive personality piece is something I need to like hold him accountable <clears throat> to and pick him up on, but you can finish. That was just my
2: one. Yeah, no, um, <laughs> honestly, I think you, you answered that. Great. So. Yeah. So some of the things I did was when I was going through that habit, I fell off going to the gym instead of going to the gym after work. I was going straight to the casino. And so I like she said, I had to channel my energy towards more constructive things. So the very first thing I did was, um, you know, well, the very first thing was, is I gave my credit cards to her (laughs) so that way I no longer had access to them. The second thing I started doing was getting back on my gym routine and getting back to constructive habits, reading. Um, you know, I got really involved with the debt free community. That's actually when I found the debt free community is Mm -hmm. like, once I started to break that habit, I said, I need to find a community or just people who like to talk about money because that's what I like to talk about. You know, it's a very taboo subject in society, but to me, I love talking about money. And when I found like the debt-free community and the FIRE movement, I was like, oh, these my folks right here, they talking about (laughs) investing and paying off debt and they actually celebrate paying off debt. Oh man, like I've been missing out. I wish I found them sooner. Like this would have really changed my life. And so I, as she said, I've really just channeled my energy towards more constructive activities. So, you know, just like I said, working out um being more constructive uh collaborating and just talking to like-minded people and figuring out new activities to just be more constructive with my money so those were some of the things that I did you know I really realized that um gambling ain't going to make you rich and you know when I had that realization that was kind of all I needed um and then you know putting that together with finding the the FIRE community and the debt-free community and understanding that people are putting money away and investing and, um, building wealth that way. I said, okay, this money that I'm losing at a casino, I need to be putting this into the market and building wealth the right way.
1: Perfect. I, man, I love that. And thank you for being open and transparent about that. I was a little hesitant to go there, but I'm, yeah. I'm glad that it was, it was a good question. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah. Anytime. Cause I, like you said, I know people are out there, um, that that may be struggling with that and if i can help them by being open about my situation mm-hmm. uh and telling them how i overcame it then you know if i can help one person that makes me feel all the better
0: and that's and that's why i think it's important that like i kind of told my side of it too because again there's still times where like i struggle with that you know like like sometimes when we're paying off debt i'm like this gambling debt like <laughs> you know so like but and then you know he's like oh my god i have this idea and we need to go 100% and so it's it's it on like if you're on the other side of that acknowledge who they are as a person and realize that that piece of them is not who they are it's a piece of them mm-hmm. and it's just understanding how to channel that appropriately and you know it's something where you know it's okay to seek help from others if yep. that is something that you're dealing with. Yep.
1: Well, I hope you've enjoyed the first part of this interview with Zay and Ellie. In part 2, they're going to share the big money wins they've had as a couple, the habits they had to build in order to secure those wins, and we're going to talk more about managing your health while you're on your wealth building journey. Again, the show notes for both episodes will be at winning2wealth.com slash episode 17. And it's also there that you can share this episode with your spouse. Again, be sure to do that. I intentionally saved this episode for Valentine's week for that reason. But I'll wrap this up so that you can hop on over to part two of this episode. Thanks for listening.